a few other ones. Uh, but generally, the trajectory was downward as far as their moral and spiritual faithfulness. Jeremiah came along, one of the, one of the prophets, and he preached to them and told them about what was going to happen. They're going to go away into captivity. There's nothing you can do to stop it now. It's too late. God's going to take you away into captivity. Here's how you need to handle it. That's what Jeremiah did. So 605, Nebuchadnezzar came the first time. There are actually three times that he came, or that, that the Babylonians came. 605, that's this one. He doesn't destroy Jerusalem here. He doesn't destroy the temple. doesn't destroy the walls. But rather, what happens is he takes away some of the, the, the young people, especially young men of royal blood and of some sort of nobility, and, and, he, and he takes them away to Babylon. We'll talk about the purpose of that in a minute. But, but he's, trying to, <clears throat> he's trying to kind of conquer Judah and let them be like a vassal, establish a vassal king, or let them have some, some independence, but under Babylonian's thumb. So it's not completely conquering them. That's what happens here in 605. Going to come back um, eight years later, 597, going to come again. And then finally in 586, he comes the last time, the third time. And that's when the temple is razed to the ground, uh, the walls are destroyed, and Jerusalem falls. And, and that was the, the big one, all right, the, the third one. This is the first one. And he's taken away some of the ones of noble blood. Now, there's speculation here about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's some textual hints here, and in, I think it's 2 Chronicles, that suggest maybe these guys had Hezekiah's blood in them. Remember, remember Hezekiah? He's one of the good kings. So that they've got, of course, there's that, that line of kings, but, but they're direct descendants of, of, of Hezekiah. So that Daniel and the other guys, they've got noble blood. They've got uh, royal blood in their veins. Uh, but anyway, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they are people of influence in Jerusalem. They are, are, are up and coming. They're, they're young at this point. But they are cream of the crop, so to speak. So he takes them away. Now, verse 3 he took some of the vessels, some of the smaller things away from the temple. Verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Okay, now we'll read on down in a minute. But just, just a couple of things. Lots of stuff's happening here. They are being immersed in Babylonian culture. So Babylon is just a world away from them in every kind of spiritual way. Uh, Babylon is, is a world power at this point. Their, their power is not going to last for too, too many years. They're going to be overtaken by the Medo-Persians here in a few years. But right now, I mean, they are on top. And... They brought these young men of noble birth, of perhaps royal blood, to come to Babylon. And, and probably the purpose of this, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to train them in the Babylonian ways and then install them 
maybe this is why, install them as like vassal rulers, put them in back in the area and let them reign under, under a Babylonian's thumb, you know. Maybe that's what's going on here. That's speculation at least. You wonder, you know, why don't you just kill all of them? Well, they do some of that, especially when they come again. But right now, he's got the idea that he's going to rule over Judah uh, without, like, conquering it completely. So he, he gets some of these guys who's going to raise them up. They're going to learn the language of the Babylonians. And that's probably a language called Akkadian, if you've ever heard of that. A-K-K-A-D-I-A-N. Though Aramaic also would have been spoken. So we're going to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Uh, just so you know, if you're interested, um, when it, they, they are being immersed in Babylonian culture. They're learning the literature. They're learning the language. They are certainly dressing them as Babylonians or Chaldeans. And there are some strong hints here that they would have been made eunuchs in the physical sense, all right, castrated, because they're going to serve in the king's palace, which was a common thing. In fact, it specifically tells us in verse 3 that Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, that's what that means. And so it's very possible, you can't know for sure, but, but it's very possible that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, had, um, had, had physically been altered and their gender taken away from them, as it were. Okay? Um, that's what eunuch meant. And it would have been certainly part of the culture. If you're going to serve the king's world, uh, for, you to, for you to make that kind of sacrifice. Lest, part of the reason was, lest you mess with the king's harem. Um, I mention that because I want you to know, it, it's an interesting thing, and this is where we're going to, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but it's an interesting thing to think about. If they did that, all right, if, they, if they were willing to become eunuchs, they're learning Akkadian, the language of the Babylonians. They are in their classrooms learning the literature of the Babylonians. And yet, there's one point on which they will not succumb. And it's on the diet. It's an interesting thing. That that's where they choose to draw the line. Remember, if you, if you were here last Sunday morning when we talked about the exiles, we're living in exile. And so how do we... How do we know to what extent we can make compromises with the world without giving in? How do we as Christians live in Babylon? That's where we are. How can we live in Babylon, become Babylonian to an extent without becoming Babylonians? You know what I mean? Like, where, where's, that, where's that line? Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are giving in on a lot of things here. It may, again, may have been made eunuchs which would have been against the law, you know? Um, they are in this culture, and yet they, they choose to draw the line. We'll, we'll explore that in a few minutes. Yes, sir? No, that's fine.
okay? Um, yeah, I, I, certainly, I certainly would agree with you. Talking, we, we're going to learn about these guys later on. We're going to learn in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are unwilling to bow down to the God. In Daniel 6, we're going to learn that Daniel is unwilling to obey the edict not to pray. You know, so we learn something about their character later on, and we'll learn something about their character here um, as well with their refusal to eat the king's uh, food. Uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm struggling with here, and, and I'm not, I don't want to imply that they disobeyed the law. What I'm suggesting, I guess, is I'm wrestling with and trying to figure out how these guys, how far they were willing to go in immersing themselves in Babylonian culture. And I don't know the answer to that completely. Uh, I'm just, it's an interesting thing with, um, with these guys. And, and I don't know that they were made eunuchs. And, and, and when I say that, I, I'm saying I don't know. I think it's possible based on the study I've done. Yeah. Okay, we're going to come. We're going to come back to that um, because I, th- I do think those are questions we have to wrestle with. Okay, so they took on these Babylonian names, and each one of those names, um, th- their previous name, you see the hint of God in them: Dan- Daniel, the E L on the end, um, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, uh, Azariah. When you, whenever you see, usually whenever you see an A H or an E L. Yah, you know, the Yahweh, the A-H implies something to do with Yahweh. The E-L is a Hebrew form for God. And so their names are changed to Babylonian names. Each of those, like Shadrach, uh, Belteshazzar, uh, especially Shadrach and Belteshazzar, are, are like associated with Babylonian gods. So they take on these Babylonian names associated with Babylonian gods. Meshach and Abednego, a little less certain, but probably tied to a Babylonian god. So they're, they're taking on these, these names, or at least they're given these names. I don't know to what extent they embrace them. But let's read on, okay, because I want you to see the main, main point of this, or main part of the text. 
But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with a king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay, so when it came to the king's food, Daniel and these other guys decided they were going to refuse. Why did they refuse? One possibility is that it was because it was not consistent with the kosher diet of the Levitical law. One possibility. Um, you know that there were dietary laws in the book of Leviticus, other parts of the law, but especially in Leviticus. You couldn't eat you know, pork, you couldn't eat shellfish. There are a lot of rules. Um, so so that, that's, that's one possibility, but there, there's there's something here that seems as if Daniel is, is drawing the line and not strictly according to that uh, because it also says that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And, and you, you may remember from the Levitical law that he wouldn't have been forbidden unless he was a Nazarite, taking a Nazarite vow. He wouldn't have been forget, forbidden from drinking wine. So most commentators on this text will suggest that there's something else going on here and that it's not just this kosher diet that's under consideration, though that's a possibility. I was reading one um, this afternoon and, and he suggests, and this makes, this makes good sense, that one of the points of this text, one of, the, one of the primary points of Daniel 1 and of the entire book of Daniel is for us to walk away from this and for the exiles to know that even though they're under the thumb of Babylon, and from a human perspective, anybody who's writing this history from a non-theistic, a non-Christian, non-Judeo-Christian perspective is going to just talk about this and Babylon conquered, you know, they conquered Jerusalem, they conquered Judah, whatever. But one of the points of this text is, and the exiles needed to know this, is even when it looks like Babylon is on top, look, look back to the very first part of this text. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And what does the first part of verse 2 say? The yeah, the Lord. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. 
If you look down to verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning. Well, I skipped one. Back up in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. You see, what, what, is, what do you think might be the main point of Daniel chapter 1? Living in exile under Babylon's rule. Who's really in control? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Of course, you, you're writing this from a human perspective, from a, from a non-Christian perspective, a non-Judeo-Christian perspective. You're going to argue uh, Babylon's the world empire. They're doing whatever they want to do at this moment, right? God wants the exiles to know this happened because God gave Jehoiakim. God, God did this. God's the one who caused Jehoiakim to be taken. And so one of the main points of this text, and the way we ought to read Daniel and Ezekiel and these, these books that were written in exile, or to describe the exilic period, is this happened because God said it could happen. Not because Babylon is so strong. God gave Nebuchadnezzar his power, and God's going to take his power away from him. God gives the Persians their power, and God's going to take the Persians' power away. God's going to give Alexander the Great his power, and God's going to take it away from him. You know, God, God is the one who's in control. So, one way of reading this about the king's food and, and the wine that he drank, and that Daniel refusing to do this, is that this was a great opportunity for them to go through this training experience, which is against their will, they would rather be in Jerusalem. But they're going through this three years of teaching and, 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 and eating the Babylonians' diet and all this stuff. And at the end of that three years, when they come out of it with this great education, and they come out of it with their bodies being changed and for them looking different than they did three years earlier, who's going to get the credit for that if they, if they follow everything that Nebuchadnezzar wants them to do? Nebuchadnezzar is going to get the glory for that. And yet, I think, I, I didn't come up with this, but I, based on my study of this, I believe that what's happening here is Daniel and these three guys are refusing on, uh, in this particular matter, they're refusing to do this because they want it to be clear to them and for them to be able to display at the end of this three-year period, this is not happening because Nebuchadnezzar is in control, but rather God is the one who is blessing them. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who, through this vegetable diet, is going to bring about this physical development in these guys. It's not because they're eating Babylonian food. It's because they are being faithful to their God in exile. And I think that's the main point of this. Um, not so much about the kosher diet, but rather, they want it to be clear that God is the one who's in control. Um, ah, six o'clock. There's a, there's a lot, a lot in here. <laughs> if you need to leave, go ahead and leave. I'm not going to hold you much longer, but let me make just a couple points. There's a lot of application here. How do you live in exile? You know, and you, you read on in, in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, Hananel, Mishael, and Azariah, they're unwilling to bow down to the idol because God said you cannot do that. They didn't do it. Um, Daniel was told in chapter 6 that he couldn't pray to God. Daniel said, I'm going to pray to God no matter what. Um, they were willing to become Babylonians to an extent. They were willing to sit in these classes and learn the literature, learn the Babylonian language. 
but there came some lines of the wooden cross. And this is, and I explored this a little bit, a little bit last Sunday morning, but this is, these are the same things we've got, we've got to wrestle with. One of the applications that this uh, commentator uh, talked about in thinking about you know, Babylon and all this is education. And, and one of the applications he makes is concerning the way we bring our kids up. You know? There are different kinds of feelings among Christians about how you educate your kids. You know? and, and, and broadly speaking, you, 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 uh, you can bring your kids up and let them be educated in the public schools. You can send them to private Christian schools. You can homeschool them. You know? and, and Christians whom I respect greatly I've done it all three ways with great success, you know? And we as Christians, we make choices based on different principles about how we're going to do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any one of those. It's, it's how you go about it and, and how, as, as Christians, you decide to make these, these kinds of choices, you know? And that's one of the applications that he made, which I had never really thought about in this context before. So how are you going to go about the whole educational thing? Well, let's... Christians come, come at that from different angles. They come to different conclusions on that. And, and God blesses them, each one of those. Yes, sir. I think that's a good point. And, 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 you know, near the end of this, in verse 17, it says, as, as you're quoting here, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And I, and I think one of the important things, one of the important ways we ought to read Daniel and Ezekiel is that this is how you live in exile. You know, this is a historical account. It's, it's telling stories about these guys living in a hostile environment and how they navigated the difficult choices they had to make of how far can you go in a Babylonian culture and becoming Babylonian and where's that line and it's not always clear and I struggle with this as a Christian today in America like how far am I willing to go in the American system how far am I willing to go in the various you know, education you know politics um, moral issues ethical issues and sometimes there's a clear-cut answer. God says you cannot do this, and therefore we can't do it, right? That's, that's a clear line. But sometimes that line's a little bit blurry, you know, and we've got to, as Christians, use wisdom. Well, Daniel and these others are using wisdom to apply what they know, to apply biblical principles to difficult situations. And that's what we've got to continue doing 
in exile, in Babylonian exile for us. And you read 1 Peter, which we studied this a couple years ago. 1 Peter is written with exile language in it. And in that letter, Peter helps his hearers living up in you know, Asia Minor, up in, I think, modern-day Turkey, you know, up there. And um, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we live when the world's becoming hostile to us? Well, more and more as we move forward, as our increasingly secular country becomes more hostile to the Christian faith, you and I are going to have to navigate this treacherous ground. Um, it's going to be kind of difficult. All right, I've kept you over. Let's pray, and, um, and then we'll, we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for today, for giving us the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, for their courage, for their wisdom to stand up for what was right, for being unwilling to go past the point where they should. We pray we'll learn from them and from others and that we'll use wisdom in applying biblical principles to learn how to deal with difficult situations in our own world as it becomes increasingly hostile to you and to your people. We ask your blessings and your protection. Help us to do good works and glorify that others will glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much.